It's the cinematic equivalent of getting an eighth full of stems and seeds. We watched Bong Water, which means it's time for another Portland at the Movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen, if you thought you had seen it all. I'd like to uh, welcome my brothers and sisters from Portland. I'd like to propose a toast with these hits of acid. Well, welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies. My name is Todd Workoven, and I am joined, as always, by Mark Middleton. How are you, Mark? I'm well, Todd. This is exciting. Good. Yes, and of course, Brian, the Unipiper Kid. How have you been, Brian? I've been good. Um, it, I got you a little uh, surprise yesterday, Todd. Oh, did you? Does this have anything to, anything to do with the fact you asked me for my shirt size today? <laughs> Uh, actually, no, no. Oh, nice. um, this is, this uh, has more to do with the uh, fetch quest that you sent me on yesterday morning. Oh, 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 nice. Yes, the VHS quest I sent you on uh, since there was a yard sale close to your house that was having a having had a had some good VHS. Um, so this week or this month, rather, we are reviewing 1997's Bong Water, which I would say out of all of the movies, like when we. When we meet uh, people who listen to the podcast that ask for specific movies, I would say this is always up there at the top. And it's something that I'm not, I wasn't familiar with uh, until I kind of started hearing the name and I hadn't seen it until uh, last night. So um, I'm very interested in digging into this movie. But before we get to that, we're going to do something I don't think the show has ever done, which is corrections and omissions. Um, <laughs> because last month we did the. The uh, remake of the movie uh, Cabin Fever uh, and our friend Ted Pfeiffer, who was the writer and director of Harvest of Fear and Path of Evil that we had on the show uh, a couple months ago now, uh, worked almost every day on Cabin Fever. But I had contacted him a little too late and didn't get his info uh, before our show. So there are a couple of really great tidbits that... um, that he gave me some of it some of it is off the record so i am not going to confirm or deny anything right here but we all had some theories about why cabin fever was remade it was remade 14 years after the original one eli roth was involved in all that and we had we gave uh, uh, several theories about why we thought maybe they were remaking the movie and one of us was correct so I, I can not get any deeper than that, <laughs> but I will say that um, he also pointed out something that blew my mind. Now, um, in in that movie, Cabin Fever, they have uh, the main core characters, which are the kind of the 20 something people uh, in the cabin. But then they have this cast of characters kind of outside of that, the town sheriff and this other guy. And they all just acted really strangely, especially this town sheriff who uh, we kept referring to as as um, looked exactly like she was from Reno uh, Reno 911. Right. And just acted crazy and just like this oddly like Paris Hilton like look with like blonde curled hair and all this. And it turns out that that is the wife of the Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin. <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. And I know Steve Mnuchin um, 
Actually, I was just, I said this right before we went on the air. I ended up watching the movie Swordfish this last week for the <laughs> podcast, How Did This Get Made? Uh, and that was also, I believe, produced by Steve Mnuchin. Um, but he's done a couple what? things. He dabbles in Hollywood just because, I mean, he's, that's what people with money do is uh, that, oh, I want to, you know, I want to get to Hollywood and I'm going to do that. So his wow. wife making her appearance. And if any of you know who Steve Mnuchin is, um, there was that famous picture right after he was, um, uh, put in charge of the treasury of him and his um his wife this blonde lady standing in the u.s mint holding like the new line of money that had his signature on it and she's done up like just this this real housewife with like with long black glove and it just it it's the funniest picture ever um so yeah she was the sheriff in in cabin fever which just blew my mind so and also the location we had a lot of discussion about uh, that location if it was a forestry building and what was it um and it turns out that it is a private residence and the whole lake that they're on is a uh, man-made reservoir from it uh being dammed up so um sadly i don't think portland at the movies will be having any sort of sleep over there anytime soon oh, no. because i don't think they airbnb that too bad. Instead, we'll have to go to the last blockbuster in exactly. Bend for their sleepover. But um, yeah, so a couple. Those are some corrections and omissions that I thought was the was very much worth mentioning, especially the Steve Mnuchin connection, which I found <laughs> hilarious. But let's steer into Bong Water now. How were either of you familiar with this movie? Not at all. I watched it twice, and I'm still kind of not familiar with it. And so <laughs> that's so funny. I guess then I could say I was even less familiar with it than Mark because the only thing I know about this movie is that I think three times now Mark has suggested that we watch it. <laughs> it sounded I'm promising. Bet, Mark, I'm willing to bet if, if this was also your first time seeing it, I'm assuming this was not the movie that you were expecting. Uh, I, I wasn't sure what I was expecting. I, I guess I was expecting more of like half-baked than uh <laughs> than this uh and this had elements of half-baked but not uh i i i feel like this movie was more like portland's reality bites not done as well uh it's so that that's <laughs> you and i are so alike sometimes mark it's almost like we've known each other for 20 years <laughs> i yeah uh, i was go ahead ryan I was going to say that after watching this, my first thought that was only in 2020 could we have discovered a movie called Bong Water starring, among others, Jack Black and have it not be a madcap stoner comedy. (laughs) (laughs) It really is the cruelest of years, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I, too, thought it was going to kind of be like, yeah, kind of madcap and kind of... uh, I don't know. And then the poster, we have a poster here on the on the screen that we're looking at. But then the, there's another movie poster that's just like a giant ass, ass. like a lady's ass. And like, yeah, like it but, makes it feel like it's going to be like a zany stoner comedy. Right. Right. Or totally. meatballs or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I think that 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 poster and i i chose not to include that poster here i think that poster was trying to attract a very specific audience that uh was going to be very surprised when they actually watched the movie and angry angry. (laughs) you Uh, mean us (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so hey, I, I have an idea. Why don't Why don't we just play our breaking in review and call it bong water, and then let's just call this game. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty apt apt description. I do you think I didn't look at a lot of reviews for this, but. I wonder, does this movie have a cult following? Because, I mean, it did, like I said, it, it has been mentioned to me several times, and I don't know if it's kind of because it's an interesting failure or if there is a legitimate audience that kind of really loves this movie. I, have, I don't think so. I have no idea. <laughs> but, well, let, let's just start at the top. Like, it's got a pretty uh, recognizable cast, uh, this the stars, cast is insane. Yeah, Luke Wilson, um, uh, Andy Dick, uh, <laughs> Jamie Kennedy, Brittany Murphy, um, uh, Jack Black. Uh, uh, are there other guy, guy from Six Feet Under? Guy from Six Feet Under. <laughs> and the score was done by uh, Mark uh, Mothersbaugh, who we've talked about before, uh, the front man of Devo, who went on to do most of Wes Anderson's films. Yeah, so I found an article from the Willamette Week uh, that talks a little bit. It was written in 2017, and it kind of talks about how this movie is uh, not great and, and what it was supposed to be. So I'm going to read a couple things from that. So it was adapted from a novel, uh, a grunge novel, from a Portland author named Michael Hornberg. Um, uh, the film flopped, obviously, and it's got this huge. Oh, and we, the cast member we didn't uh, mention was the main character, the main actress who played Serena, who is Alicia Witt, who has just been in tons and tons of things. I knew her because she played Sybil Shepherd's daughter in the late '90s sitcom Sybil, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> And I knew her from Twin Peaks. Yes, and so she's been not only in Bongwater, she's been in Mr. Holland's Opus, Twin Peaks, and The Librarians, which I believe puts her almost ahead of Marley Matlin as far as actresses or actors that have been in Portland the most. I thought maybe she grew up here, but she grew up on the East Coast somewhere because, yeah, that Twin Peaks connection, too. But Mr. Holland's Opus and The Librarians she was in. And the original um, Dune. She was in the original yes. Dune. That was like her first role. And then yeah. David Lynch wrote her a part in, I believe, Twin Peaks just yeah. for her. Yeah. Wow. Which is crazy. Uh, but uh, back to this article a little bit. Um, so, yeah, Michael, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, who would score Rushmore, handle the music. The cameraman uh, later served six terms as president of the American Society of Cinematographers. The costume designer would go on to outfit uh, Lost in Translation and Little Miss Sunshine. Um, and the producers would next purchase the property that became uh, Steven Soderbergh's Traffic. Now, one of the things I did notice at the very end of the movie where they have like special thanks, like right before the uh, end, you know, right at the end of the the end credits, there was a special thanks to Steven Soderbergh. So the yeah. producers must have known him then, which is, this is not a Steven Soderbergh movie <laughs> at all. So, um, yeah, there, if you want to look at uh, a little bit more about the background of it uh, and why it failed and, and a, a wrap-up article, there is a great article uh, in the Willamette Week um, about this. But the movie is, uh, kind of unlike a lot of our movies, proudly set in Portland. Uh, it's the very first thing you see is Portland, Oregon, which was kind of cool to see. Yeah, there's a lot of sites in in Portland that you see, and it feels very 90s portland uh 
you know, uh, I, I moved here in about 95 and it feels gritty and very nineties Portlandy. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. I noticed that the, the white stag sign looks like, and we just saw the picture of it on our screen, yeah. but it was looked like it was in one of the transitions that it kind of did for uh, a, a couple of years there before it just it, it changed to what it is today. So like half of it wasn't even there. It looked like it used to say, you know, whatever it said, and half the letters were gone, which I thought was an interesting timestamp for this movie yeah. to catch that sign there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Mary's Club has changed, but it's prominently <laughs> featured in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much the same. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it looked exactly the same. <laughs> um, so before we get a little any further into this, uh, we mentioned the cast, which you know they've a lot of them have gone on to to do a lot of great things, but it's it's still a, a specifically '90s cast. But I wrote down a list of pretty great late '90s cliches that you see in this movie because it was just <laughs> it was just ripe with them. So you know, bad bad alternative rock music, uh, men with frosted tips, their hair frosted. Um, gratuitous nudity, right? Speaking of Mary's Club, right out of the gate, we oh, get yeah. some gratuitous nudity. Uh, yeah. A lot, a lot of indoor smoking was going on. Um, brown lipstick on the women, which was a big thing. Cassettes on people's car dashboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, ringer teeth. What's that? Flannel. Flannel. Yes, flannel. lots of flannel. Um, when uh, baby doll, a lot of baby doll dresses, and you know when um, those little tiny, tiny hair clips that women would use, like fifty of them to do like lots of little, lots of little clips everywhere. I noticed that. Uh, I noticed that. Um, and being able to change flights, like airplane flights, last <laughs> minute because this was pre pre nine eleven. Right. And so they're like, oh, we'll just change that ticket tomorrow in person at the airport. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, that dates this movie. Um, so who want Brian, why don't you set up this movie? OK, uh, we have our main character named David, played by Luke Wilson, um, who is uh, a pot dealer. And uh, it's one of those, I'm sure it has a name, uh, where the movie starts uh, in, in Medias Race, I think, in the, in the middle of the action. Oh, nice. Uh, and, and then uh, within, what, five minutes of the movie, uh, we see um, uh, David's house burning down. Um, and then it jump cuts to three weeks earlier. And that's when we finally start to figure out who our characters are. Uh, and we learned that David has uh, two roommates, uh, Andy, Dick, and... Uh, Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under. <laughs> um, and uh, they... Uh, I think they have a, a fourth roommate, too, a girl named Jen. Is that right? There is a Jen in this movie. <laughs> I'm learning right now that all these people were roommates. <laughs> oh, no, you're... Uh, sorry, no, you I, could be right. I didn't no, realize. No, I think I'm wrong. I think it is actually. I'm, I'm like making sense of this movie, like talking about it <laughs> In now. Real time. Um, they weren't roommates. They they make the comment later that they all just always hang out at David's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and I didn't even realize that Six Feet Under and Andy Dick were a gay couple 
until like almost the last scene. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. yeah, that was pretty obvious. Well, be- uh, to uh, me, was it? I mean, it wasn't like a romance. They didn't seem to have a romantic relationship, did they? They were always cuddling on the couch. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just so progressive that didn't even <laughs> you, strike me as quote unquote. That's how you gay. and Mark used to hang I out. <laughs> <laughs> what I was the quote I, I texted you, Mark, text. last night? Oh, I don't remember. Um, it was something. It was a line from the movie that, like, uh, Mark. All Marks. None oh, of Mark's friends have right. sex with him or whatever. It's <laughs> <Right, laughs> really funny. Um, yeah, uh, so I didn't really pick up on that until they explicitly said it towards the end of the movie. I, I kind of liked that uh, because, yeah, totally. uh, you know, a lot of characters in movies, especially that are gay, are like very token gay characters to drive a message forward. And this was just happenstance. Uh, they yeah. were characters. They happened to be gay. And as you said, like it wasn't thrown in your face. They were just cuddling. And at one point they were watching gay porn uh, together. Well, and, and that you was know, it. And now, well, th- that, <laughs> boy, that makes that scene make so much more sense because it was the two, it was the two dudes and then that blonde girl, Jennifer. And yeah. then they're all just like, yeah, they're all watching gay porn. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> what? Just like, what? So that that's that, what we that do tracks a lot more now. <laughs> we bring over our girlfriends well, and watch gay porn. I, I will give the movie that credit. I did think, um, you know, the, the way that it handled the gay characters along with um, the way that it handled uh, the use of drugs and marijuana in general, it, it felt, it, you know, the, it, the people who were the drug dealers weren't the villains. Um, it, it was very progressive, especially for a late nineties film. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Well, and it's and it's interesting because I think uh, to kind of put this movie in context of the '90s, this was, as Mark said, after Reality Bites, which <laughs> I as, as I intellectually know that that Reality Bites is not a good movie. However, I still love Reality Bites. I we used to love rent it, Reality Bites. We used to rent it every week when uh, we were in college, me and my friends. Um, it's got a lot of great quotable lines and like. And so I couldn't figure out after this movie, this movie starts out and I actually was hardly taking any notes, which shocked me because I was just watching it. I'm like, oh, I'm just watching a regular movie. And like, this is great. And I was feeling I was feeling really good about it. And then everything fell apart. But um, it it does. It it can't quite figure out what it is. And I still don't. At one point, I just wrote, what is this movie? Like, it's not a comedy. It doesn't feel like a drama. And then we're not going to spoil the ending, but then it turns into I don't know what. So <laughs> Wikipedia says that it is a black comedy, which I feel like is uh, they're trying to pull a com- Tommy Wiseau. Where right. <laughs> yeah. that, you, know, you didn't understand it. It was a black comedy. Because there's nothing dark about the tone or like the Joe or the situations or anything. And I think that's where, because at one point I started writing down uh, after I wrote, what is this movie? I could not, and I only watched this movie uh, once. So I only saw it last night. I could not ever quite identify any of the characters (laughs) needs or wants. Right. Which in a movie is not. This was kind of the Seinfelds of, of movies. Like I, I don't feel that there was a driving plot. Uh, I don't feel like there was a 
uh, you know, here's the situation. We need to solve this. And, and uh, you know, there was a house that burned. There were friends. There was a drug dealer. There was, you know, uh, people dating and not dating each other. And, I, like, I, I don't. I don't know. I wasn't spoon fed an arc that uh, that I understood. And, and right. Well, it's it, it's interesting that you say that because there's this quote from the the Willamette Week article, um, and it was really just about people meandering around in their lives. Right. So, like like you said, it wasn't supposed to have this big arc, and uh, that would be fine. But I still, <laughs> I didn't know who any of these characters were and yeah. i don't know especially the main the main um the main actress alicia witt who's who plays a character named serena i don't know if her character was supposed to be quirky or tragic or like i have no idea what her character is right am i supposed to root for her like at at the end she kind of um gets taken advantage of or she gets raped at a party in New York and um, was offered coke and stuff like that. And I was like, you're just going to gloss over it. Like the movie does. I see. I know. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had, I was going to do follow up notes to that rape scene and all I got was rape scene. And then it was over and never talked about again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> never referenced, never communicated. Well, and never that was, I mean, cause that was a sh- like, it was a shocking scene and it was so out of character from the rest of the movie yeah, and then right. just never brought up again. Right. Um, but like, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I couldn't figure out if I was supposed to be like, is this her life spiraling out of control? Because I didn't know her before. I didn't know what to right. be, to compare her behavior to. Right. Yeah. And, and that goes to the lack of arc. Like you didn't, there were a bunch of points on the map, but there wasn't a <laughs> a a line that connected. There them. wasn't a constellation that it no. made. No, it was just oh, <laughs> she got raped. Oh, uh, you know, she watched her, you know, the guy that she had a crush on have sex with her friend, and but never talked to. You know, it was just so. And that's, yeah, and that's the other thing, too. I, I, we're supposed to, I believe we would say Luke Wilson is the main character who we're following, followed up by Serena, correct? Agreed. Yeah. Okay. And at, for large parts of the movies, they, they, they separate, and Serena is in New York, and Luke Wilson is still in Portland and stuff like that. And I, because neither of them ever said out loud, even to, I think, any anyone else in the movie, whether or not they wanted a relationship with that other person, I didn't know either. And then they would meet up and, like, you would know that you're they're supposed to be attracted to each other according to the movie. But then, like, they would walk away and go either sleep or date someone else. And, like, I couldn't track what I was supposed to be caring about. Yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, like, you could, I think the movie was trying to make the argument that the the main plot was just will they, won't they, with Luke Wilson, David, and Serena. Um, 
So maybe somebody else, Mark, you watched this twice. How would you describe <laughs> Serena's as a character? Like, what is her character? I, yeah, that's a great question. So for the record, so the first time I watched it, I was pretty baked and I fell asleep <laughs> halfway through, which is why I had to watch it again. So <laughs> I was going to say, you've never watched a movie twice on this show. <laughs> no, no, no. It was only so that I could finish it. Uh, <clears throat> so, so just full disclosure. Uh, she... She seems like the um, underguided 90s young lady who is looking for her footing is is kind of who I saw her as. Uh, she was trying different things. She's trying to work things out emotionally with her friend, you know, t- talking through stuff. It, and, and there wasn't much more. There wasn't a lot of drive or motivation or why am I doing this or what am I doing? <laughs> you know, there's just, it, right. it was very voyeuristic of like, now we're seeing her hang out with friends. She's a terrible person. Um, she was completely self-centered. She burned down Luke Wilson's house. <laughs> well, um, but did she, or did she just not <clears throat> stop the fire? Because she said she saw it. She's like, oh, I saw it, leaned over, and I just left. Like, So she didn't yeah. start it, but like somebody had left the candle on, and that had started a small fire. Same thing. Yeah, well. I, I, no, I agree. Because she does confess to David later in the movie of like, no, no, I, uh, I started a fire. And he goes, no, 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 it wasn't your fault. And she's like, yeah, it was. I watched it start, and then I walked away without feeling anything. And so, and then what was his reaction to that? He's like, bombshell oh, news? well, that's okay. I uh, still love you. It was the it was the acting equivalent of the shrug emoji. Because <laughs> like I was busy writing down. Wait, she burned down the house, and he was so unconcerned with that piece of news, so not so unflustered. Well, um, she takes advantage of her friends. Um, like she was trying to, you know, get a plane ticket out of her friend and just use them for furthering her goals. I couldn't make heads or tails of that friend. Jennifer was her name, that blonde girl. Yeah. At the drop of a hat, she can fly to New York to go to a party. This is like angry, privileged, white people the movie. <laughs> it sort of is, yes, because she had later she was like showing showing Serena these like amazing fancy shoes that she bought too. And like, we've only seen her lay around a house watching gay porn. Like, I don't understand the means of income for these people. Um, so this, how long of a time span did this movie take place over? Two weeks because the beginning of the movie is, well, no, no, it was actually longer than that because, uh, the movie starts with the house fire and then it says two weeks earlier. And so now we get, uh, okay. Um, and then the, you grab my water, water, sorry, water, water. That's the international symbol for water. Stage directions to his prop master to get him some water. So, uh, Two weeks later, or three weeks later, uh, the house fire happens. And then there's additional plot that happens in the movie after the fire. So I would say a total of four weeks. 
but okay. roughly. Okay. Did you guys notice a couple times when Serena was talking to her friends or, or the Jamie Kennedy character, the idea of evil twins came up like three or four times during the movie. And I thought, are they going to have like a literal evil twin in this movie? And I was very excited, but then that never really turned into anything either. Uh, it went somewhere else though. Probably uh, surprising. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, did you got how many times did you guys notice that this should have been a drinking game for this movie? The boom mic, the light kit, oh, or the mark on the floor? I did see the mark on the floor multiple times. Um, oh, I only saw that once. I, I, I think. Well, um, no, it could. I mean, it, this movie is just filled with. I counted at least four times I saw a boom mic. I saw Whoa. the marks marks on this on the floor uh, in one scene, and then I saw a whole light kit <laughs> in another scene, which is pretty great. I only hey. saw one boom mic. It was yeah, it was pretty shocking. And I'm sure there's more, like I said, but it was pretty shocking. Um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about much like this movie is how our main character is an artist? Question <sighs> mark. They had such an opportunity to like, so they, they're starting an artistic revolution with his art and it seems so like what you see at the fair of like, oh, here's 11th grade, uh, Jimmy and, and his picture of a portrait of like, it was all really shitty art. Like there was nothing. I am. <laughs> that I saw that was interesting at all. Am I wrong? Imagine that um, that quality of art, but done with like hardcore porn, which was the subject matter of his yes. art. Yes, yes. I am so glad you said that because, like, the first <laughs> one of the first things I wrote down is his art is so shitty, and it's <laughs> so funny. At the very end, in the end credits, they give credit to whatever artist did that, oh. like art yeah. by. Yeah, and it was like a bunch of, yeah, hard, hardcore sex looking, but in a style that isn't terribly realistic. And and it, so one of the first scenes we have together with Luke Wilson and Serena is Serena just going on and on and on about how great his art is and how meaningful mind is it. blowing and we're gonna start a revolution <laughs> so do you think that she uh, like now looking back was she meant to know what she was talking about or do you think she was just making stuff up um I although she does invite in introduce her to the britney murphy character who was like some rich people's daughter and also a gallery owner yeah uh and so i i think the movie's premise is that that art is awesome okay interesting <laughs> i should have included some stills huh. in that <laughs> i'm gonna have to sit with that for a while much like the the uh video of me on the <laughs> on the uh, video we're doing is frozen <laughs> in confusion. So is my expression in real life, trying to take in the news that that art was me meant to be good. 
And speaking of other things that got a shout out in the credits, did you see that the uh, the bong, the big red bong, got a special yes. mention? Yes, I did. And that's something too that like the movie never made anything out of it. it was like a big deal introducing it and even putting it in the credits, but that never that literally led to nothing. <clears throat> yes, much much this, like this conversation. Much like this. <laughs> The Seinfeld of movies. So at some point, uh, Luke, Will- when the Serena character is in New York, Luke Wilson kind of hooks up with the Brittany Murphy character who I, I love Brittany Murphy. I think she was an amazing actress. She was great. It's a shame that she passed away. She in this movie, I wanted to push her off a cliff. She was <laughs> nothing but like pure diluted Manny Pixic Manny Pixic dream girl. Yeah. But all she did was like vocalize noises and honk the car horn like she was just giggling this weird laugh the whole time and just making noises and it was terrible what she, what was happening in this movie. And then they rolled around in a cow pasture and made out. Mhm. But they go on a uh, trip to which I think they filmed it in Savi Island. If if yep. some of the information was correct, would uh, they go on his nature nature hike to the mountains to meet the Jack Black character? Uh, so Jack Black plays this kind of granola '90s Portland hippie guy who's a stoner and and has all the drugs. And the other guy from Ch- uh, Tenacious D is there. I'm blanking on his name uh, right now. Uh, G- G- Gus? No, it's something similar to another famous guy, and I always get them. I always get them confused. Um, Kyle. Anyway, Kyle, Kyle Gas. Yeah, yes. There you go. Uh, who is also in this movie, and that's kind of another time that it's just this wasted experience because they all, everybody goes to this camp, you know, and they all take acid and wander around in nature you know tripping on acid but nothing happens like that doesn't alter their experience that doesn't lead them to any information that does anything different it's just three minutes of them walking in in the wood and then that's over incidentally while they are having their drug trip uh there's a a another experience that david is having of a hallucination of sorts and so you would have thought that the other characters would have would have been that, but but he has a visitation from his mom, and I don't get that she imparted any information to him. Like you're gonna the have only a th- yeah. The only thing I can figure out, she shows up at the campsite like in a in a sequined cocktail dress, and kind of talks to him about like motivation and having a goal, and then she like literally <laughs> because she walks off after their conversation is done. And she, it's met in the movie, she kind of vanishes and she has maybe a, a 10 foot, a 10 foot walk that she knows has to be long enough that she has to, you know, that they'll transition her out. And she is taking the teeniest, tiniest baby steps, but trying to make it look like she's just like walking into the forest and she's just like a ba-doop, ba-doop, I'm walking, I'm walking. It was so funny oh my gosh speaking of babies 
Did you guys notice that twice in this movie, when the Brittany Murphy character is at some bar or some cafe, there she has a baby bottle full of milk on the table. No, I never saw that. No. There's I... one in the beginning, and the only thing I wondered is that if, because it was twice, I thought, I, I so I, I didn't know if it was supposed to be the same bar or location. I'm like, maybe that was a quirky thing this bar did was to have like the cream for your coffee in little baby bottles, or Brittany Murphy's character just carries around in her purse a baby bottles full of milk that. I can't imagine how warm that would be by the time you would break it out to put it in your coffee or to drink straight. I don't know what she was doing with it. I'd like to think that that was an idea that she had for her own character. She just <laughs> told the director and they were like, okay, Brittany, that's nice. That was her actor's secret was the origin of that bottle of milk. Oh my gosh. There it is. Insane. Yeah. Huh. Yes, sitting right there, and I was like, "Well, maybe it's just a quirky." Uh, that and that everybody's smoking indoors at the at the coffee shops too, which I thought was very '90s, very funny. Yeah, and that, and I thought, and I forgot about it until at the end again. It shows up like this, and it doesn't look like it's the same bar. Man. Yeah. So yes, yeah. this movie is on YouTube for anybody that would care to care to watch. It's free on YouTube, and apparently nobody's taking it down. I, I like to think that there's uh, somebody else out there who has a podcast called New York at the movies and they're watching this and <laughs> suffering through it the same way we are. This is going to be our crossover episode. <laughs> you know who else got a credit was so, uh, okay, so this movie is, you know, kind of goes nowhere. And like we said, it's just kind of meandering following these characters. Serena ends up coming back to Portland and or does she when, when they go to the 80s party at towards the end of this movie is that in that's in portland correct and yes yes arena is there and that's when they go to the roof or whatever yes okay so andy dick and six feet under are throwing okay well for hold on how old are these characters uh i think they're um, post-college I mean, it's supposed to be the, like the reality bites cast okay. of like. So, uh, um, Serena's driver's license in the movie had her being born in '72. That's right. That's right. So they would have been twenty-five. Twenty-five. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So Andy Dick and Six Feet Under are throwing, and here's where things get hazy for me. They're throwing an underground party. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it's in a building where this is now the third time we've seen that slide. Yes. Show up in a Portland movie. So it is clearly this warehouse that the uh, film scouts in town have on their short list for anybody looking for that kind of a place. Do you think more than one building had that? Like, was that a thing more buildings had back then where slides were like packages or something like that? Or is that the same? It, it I'm could trying to be, remember. It, it could be. I think it's the same slide. I, 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 I know that those were like common, but uh, the, the room just, it looks the that same. That was in one the of the slide. Stephen Miller. Was that in back time that we saw that? Uh, I can't it, remember what it, it was. All, it was in the one where we are not ninjas. 
Um, <laughs> oh, that's uh, um, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I wanted to say Sledgehammer and Ford Fairlane. Neither of which are away, but it had and, the Andrew Dice Clay one, where he was the yes. bouncer. Yeah, it was in that one. Brain Smasher, but, a love story. Brain Smasher, <laughs> a love story. A love story. We're not ninjas. Um, I was looking at our. I was uh, uploading something to our YouTube page the other day, uh, and since I only go there once a month, I hardly ever look at anything. And I was looking at for um, the videos that we posted, and I'm like, we did a movie called Breakaway. Like I was so confused. That was oh. one of the ta- that was one of the Tanya Harding movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of these days we'll do a quiz and I'll put like fake movies in and see if we can remember uh, what we even. I got. will fail. <laughs> so wait, yeah, they... oh, wait. <clears throat> what was the movie that um, I picked out and we actually had to replace this month? Oh, it was called Fatal Exposure. All of which <laughs> I watched. <laughs> A movie starring Mayor Winningham from uh, St. Elmo's Fire. Um, uh, the guy, uh, Shooter McGavin, who's that actor? Oh, yeah. Uh, he's in everything. Uh, he was in that. Uh, and it was just, it was a made-for-USA movie. So it wasn't quite as, like, terrible as, like, a Hallmark movie, but not as sexy as a Lifetime movie. So it was, like, just nothing. And so there's, like, literally nothing to talk about. It was filmed in St. Helens, so you get to get to see St. Helens a little bit. But just based on the name of uh, Fatal Exposure, like, I swear we've had uh, a movie with both Fatal and Exposure in the title. <laughs> we had Fatal Revenge, and we had Portland Expose, which is close. But... <sighs> Yeah, it was it was the most generic thing of all time. So that's why we moved on to to bong water to save the day. Um, <laughs> when oh no, I'm still on the '80s party. So they they're throwing question mark an underground '80s themed party that is in this <clears throat> warehouse, but like it's just a small subsection of the warehouse, so you don't even get that grand scale. And uh, I, one of the things I wrote down is you can tell that there is no music playing for the extras to dance to because nobody's doing the same thing to, on any sort of beat or rhythm, which was hilarious. But, um, oh, the DJ at this 80s party had this amazing shirt that had a giant VHS tape on it made to look like it was hanging off like a huge gold chain. And I was like, I want that shirt. That's amazing. But there's they're just dancing at this 80s party. And then the cops bust in and raid it. These are adults having a party. There's nothing illegal going on. I could not, for the life of me, figure out what made this an underground party. They must not have had <clears throat> access to the venue. Yeah, I, I think that they stole, like, they, they were crashing this warehouse. That's that's there was never any reference to that. I'm just inserting that plot <laughs> line to explain like four different things. Yeah. And they all like they all scattered from this party like they were all like wanted felons. Because, well, and then the police like gave chase as if they were like wanted for murder and it was like I could not and it was the lamest party and in the credits Whoever designed "quote unquote" the the set dressing for that '80s party got their own credit, <laughs> <laughs> and all they had was like four kind of cocktail table height tables that had just like a glowing base, and that was it. 
<laughs> I was like, way to go, 80s party. And they wrapped tinfoil around the slide. They did. <laughs> they did. <laughs> My favorite part, going back to when Luke Wilson has the... Um, Ha- sees his mother and has that little conversation with her at the campground. They both sit down at the picnic table and play everybody's favorite game, Word Up! <laughs> which was literally just Scrabble, Scrabble. But they could not say Scrabble. And they said Word Up like ten times. They're like, you always loved Word Up when you were a child. And well, I didn't like playing Word Up because you always cheated. And they're like looking in the Word Up dictionary to like prove I'm like, it's Scrabble. Everybody can see it's Scrabble. It made me laugh so hard that they kept saying it. Uh, my, my favorite part of the movie was also in that scene. Um, did you guys notice the uh, lemonade? No. I don't think so. Oh, um, the lemonade in that scene, they had a picture of lemonade on the table when he was talking to his mom and it was slowly changing color throughout the scene. <laughs> and the effect was so well done that I couldn't tell if they like, if it was a chemical reaction or they had lights in the lemonade. Like I couldn't tell how they were changing the color of the lemonade. Do you think it was purposeful or like just whatever oh, no, they totally put it? purposeful because like, you know, he's tripping on acid and it's just like a detail going on in the background. Oh, oh, I totally, I remember she brought out, she nah. set something on the table and he's like, I want a Coke. And she's like, you still drink Coke or whatever. But I didn't notice the bottle. I was too busy obsessing about word up to see anything else in the scene. <laughs> Um, so, uh, wait, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Much like this movie, <laughs> it just trails wait, off. So, hold on. So, I'm, I'm, let me pull up that. Uh, <clears throat> are we, yeah, talk- Mark, explain. Let, let's go to the Mark and Todd cast for a minute. Mark, explain <laughs> how you would make lemonade change color. <clears throat> Okay. So yeah, there's a part. There's a part. Oh, oh, there we go. Oh, there we oh go. wow, oh, wow. So she puts it out. It looks like a big clear bottle of Country Time lemonade, and, and then it slowly turns purple. If that's special <laughs> effects, that's pretty impressive. I know. That's why so I said now it goes like, purple. It was it, it was distracting to me, and I couldn't stop watching it. It huh, changed colors when effect. she opened it. Uh, yeah, so that's now it's, it's done back. with lighting. I'm I'm reversing. So, yeah. Okay. So if we play this, she never takes off the cork though. It's it's done with lighting. It's very well done. Yeah, I, there's no way that's a after no, special effects no, in the late nineties that looks that good. Well, if it is, congratulations, Bongwater. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, why is this movie called Bong Water? Uh, no idea. I mean, there is a bong in the movie. <laughs> it's the big He's, red. It's so yeah. important. We never hear about it again. <laughs> yeah, he sells weed. Oh, I know why it was called Bong Water. That was the name of the novel, Todd. Oh, you're right. My bad. My bad. Why was the book uh, called Bong Water? <laughs> how, how about that I should go I should go ask the author uh, there were some plaid pantry matches too that I saw I saw those yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that was see and that was another opportunity where um, 
uh, Andy Dick and Six Feet Under are driving down the street and they're kind of bantering back and forth. And like Andy Dick, for all his problems, can be very funny. And Six Feet Under seems like a competent actor. But it was like a whole minute and a half of going kind of back and forth and improvise. And that was just not funny and didn't it, add, it was just nothing. It seemed like every scene that Andy Dick was in was just an improv workshop. So here's, speaking of Andy Dick, um, uh, this is from that Willamette Week article, and this is from the director, I believe. Uh, We never knew where Andy was. He was like a tornado and very hard to corral. One night we were at Mary's. I didn't even know he was at the bar when we hear someone fight in the bathroom. Andy's in there doing God God knows what, and we have to yank him out. Um, there was a scene with Luke and Andy having mimosas on the patio toward the end of the movie. We were getting ready to shoot and Andy wasn't there. It's call time and the actors are getting dressed, hair and makeup uh, were setting up. And we're literally looking at the script trying to figure out a way to do this without Andy when he rolls up. I don't think he slept a wink uh, up all night partying, doing something. And he just walks right on the set, puts on his little outfit, sits down, and he just nails the scene. <laughs> so, yeah, this was... I forget uh, do I forget when news radio was on the air if this would have been before or after when he was on news radio no idea um but he he also had a little bit part in speaking of uh, reality bites in reality bites for a little bit what was the um <laughs> purpose of Jamie Kennedy's character oh. <sighs> yeah Jamie's Jamie Kennedy's character is a uh He's not a pothead. He does like heroin, cocaine. He like he does. He's a musician that does pretty hard drugs. Oh, and Serena kind of finds him attractive after Luke Wilson kind of turns her down. Uh, and Jamie Kennedy is the one who moves to New York, which causes Serena to follow him to New York. Oh, okay. So he got yeah, and that he had a bunch of crazy scenes too where. <sighs> That was one of them with the with the marks on the floor where they were supposed to stand. And Alicia Witt is like pretending to attack him with a bong that looks like a snake or something like that. And he's like always shooting a gun in his apartment. It's so crazy. Um, Andy Dick did have the best line in this movie. Oh, what was that? That was uh, they were sitting having breakfast or something, and and Andy Dick just looks up at uh, Luke Wilson and is like, "Guess what? Stop! Guess who stopped smoking? Your, Your house." house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I did think that was funny and cruel all at the same time. I was like, "Oh, Andy Dick's just being himself." <laughs> Your house. Wait a minute. So now I'm looking at uh, one of my notes. That just says naked dudes in bed. There's Those there's are, one yep. scene the, where Luke Wilson is having a conversation with I don't even remember who, and they walk into what I thought was Luke Wilson's bedroom, and there are just two naked men sleeping face down on the bed. Yeah. So Todd, they're gay. It's okay. They're, they're yes, homos. But was that uh, was that other people or was that Andy Dick and Six Feet Under? No, those were Andy's friends. So when, oh, okay. when, when David left the room and went back out to the living room, Andy said, Hey, did you see my friends in the bedroom? He's like, uh, or did you meet my friends? And he goes, no, they were sleeping. Oh, well, oh, they're my okay. friend. And that was, and that was it. And so we, <laughs> we saw their butts and that was it. That's all we got. 
Yeah, that was very strange. There's a part when Serena is in New York and she goes, you know, she has her friend, the blonde friend Jennifer, flies out to go to a party with her. And um, and Alicia Witt's character either gets roofied. She knows she's uh, taking cocaine. This guy offers her cocaine. Um, is that Scott? Wait, is that Scott Kahn's character that gives her cocaine or not? Do you know who Scott Kahn is the one that she that Serena sleeps in the basement with no. that one guy? No, that's no, different. No, guy. no, there's the this... guy who raped her who gave her the cocaine. Right. Oh, so those are different. Those were different characters. Yeah. I did. I did notice that Scott Kahn, who lives in New York, was wearing the exact same blue puffy vest that Andy Dick's character in Portland was wearing. How <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> um. But yeah, so uh, Serena is at that party and gets roofied and or just passes out from cocaine and gets raped by one of the other party goers. And so she's kind of stumbling around on the street with her friend Jennifer afterwards, sees a church and goes into the church. And one of the tropes in movies that I notice a lot that I, I can't figure out if it's really true are big churches like that in cities like just open 24 hours a day. Because, like, every movie, it's like somebody having a conscience, a crisis of conscience at, like, 2 in the morning and wanders into the local Catholic church and yeah, sits in I've the back. Yeah, I've never seen and, that 24 hours a day. I see it, like, during the day. but Right. Never, and so yeah. I didn't know if that was maybe a thing that, you know, a sanctuary is a sanctuary. And I didn't know if that was, like, just a thing that used to happen more where you could just come in at any time and light your candles or whatever. But um, she's sitting in this church and having a reflective moment and... This super, super weird, I would say homeless, but he wasn't really dressed homeless, but maybe this 55-year-old man that says, um, I don't even remember what he says to her, but he's like sucking his lip and like making all these like noises and then like full on disappears. Did you guys see that? We saw it. I had no idea the context, like... Uh, yeah, I because the only other time we've seen someone disappear is when Luke Wilson was having a hallucination that his mom was there and she disappeared. But Serena isn't I mean, she had taken cocaine, but she had woken up, you know, from being blacked out and was fine. So like she wasn't on LSD, but this character just full on disappears out of the movie. There were a lot of opportunities like that where normally in in a <laughs> In a well-crafted movie, that would be like the moment of revelation or the impart impartation of wisdom from a sage, or or something in like, you know, it, and that wisdom comes from an unexpected source, like a homeless person in a church or or something, and then she takes that tidbit and like learns to, oh, you know that gem was in front of me the entire time. And, and why didn't I just see him for who? There was none of that. There was absolutely none of that. And then he just disappeared. <laughs> he just I disappeared. absolutely believe that scene. You're absolutely right. He fades out like a force ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Which was... That is bizarre. Just crazy. Okay. That seems really weird to me because she made such a big deal about, like, this is just after she was raped, and then she makes such a big deal about having to go to the bathroom, and i got to find a bathroom right now, and I thought she was going to, like, pass out or bleed or something, and, no, I guess she just had to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, she goes, they show her, like, going into the bathroom, and then after that showing, you know, her going, sitting in one of the empty pews of the church. 
Um, so also at the end, there's a lot. There's a lot of times where like Serena is pining after Luke Wilson, but Luke Wilson's attention is elsewhere, and then Luke Wilson's attention is on Serena, and Serena's attention is elsewhere. Is that the same jacket or not? It's not. They're showing... they're they're, they're from the same rack, <laughs> but but <laughs> one one is a. Uh, is a vest that has the sleeve, you know, it was the a jacket, the sleeves zipped off, and the other is I, not. But they have the same style, slightly different colors. It's not the same okay. jacket, but... Yeah, we're looking at Andy Dick and Scott Kahn's two vests. I bet you Andy Dick's vest, his sleeves zip off, too. <laughs> For sure. Um, boy, that's funny, yeah. That was one of the 90s tropes. I'm like, oh, a puffy vest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> best best screen appearance of a puffy vest since Back to the Future. <laughs> Um, so towards the end, uh, Serena comes back from New York and sees that Luke Wilson had sex with someone and kind of, you know, runs away or whatever. Were we meant to believe that Luke Wilson had sex with that blonde Jennifer friend or just a random, you know, a random person? Really? That's crazy i mean you're not crazy for thinking that but the, the movie yeah i that that made no sense either that there was anything between them let alone that they would you know all of a sudden sleep together when they're friends there's nothing leading up to it no so and and they showed they showed the woman which is why i even wondered who it was they don't even show her face in bed they just kind of show you know in the dark them having sex and then and he gets up and and goes away when the other person is asleep with her back towards the camera and i'm like was that supposed to be the friend jennifer it was so crazy so then that's kind of when we're getting toward the end of the movie here where um serena tells luke wilson you know basically i burned down your house because i didn't stop the fire and luke wilson says it was the best thing that ever happened to me even though the movie has not shown us at all that his life has changed in any way all it did all he did was say oh all of my drawings and paintings were in there yeah and so apparently he lost all of the art that he ever did and then they go up to the roof after everybody runs away so they or they go to the 80s party they end up on the roof together the police are still chasing them. The police are inexplicably still chasing people like from rooftop to rooftop for being at an illegal 80s party where nobody is doing anything illegal. So setting that aside. Ex- except that they were crashing a, a building that they didn't own. <laughs> to have their tiny 80s party with 15 people. Luke Wilson and Serena are at the top of oh, the building that they're on, which I couldn't. It's a building called City Signs, according to the Willamette Week article. But I that must be an old building because I don't know what that is and couldn't find it. Um, but and that if somebody, article is only a couple years old, too. So. It's only a couple years old. So I'll do a little. I didn't totally look into it as, as much as I can, but I'll also try to see if I can post a screen cap to somebody to see if they know. So they're at night. They're on the roof. You know, we've got our 90s alt rock music playing. It's the it's Fountains of Wayne comes on. We're in the home stretch for them to kiss. <sighs> then what happens, Brian? Oh, I, I didn't want to take the thunder from you. This is like your, your favorite part of the movie. <laughs> this is the point of the movie where I just wrote down in huge letters. Are you Wait. fucking kidding me? 
Yeah, so uh, we left out one very important uh, character trait for Serena. Uh, okay. when, we were, when we were describing her character, we should have also said that she seems to have this inexplicable fascination with uh, UFOs. And, um, I and think it's abductions, maybe yeah. three times throughout the movie. I, then, they might say that she was even had like an abduction experience. Yeah, and her friend maybe at one point hinted that like it was just something that she did just to make herself sound important to her. Yeah. There's a thing with her and aliens, and it's unexplained until the end of the movie. At which point, what happens, Todd? They're on the roof of the building, and from above, Independence Day style, a beam of light shows upon them. They both look up, and we see, like, the world's shittiest-looking UFO just from the bottom that hovers above them, and then the movie ends. Yes. What? What is happening? There are aliens in this movie? I was just befuddled at this choice to make aliens a real part of this movie. Yeah, yeah. They weren't on drugs at that time, were they? It, it did not imply anyone, because they were at the 80s party, and nobody at the 80s party was, like I said, seemed to be doing anything illegally other than tra uh, trespassing. It didn't even seem like they were drinking. Right. So it was not set up because then the movie just ends so it's not like it fades away or like any of the surrealism that we've had before it's just a ufo coming out of the sky in the movie ending yes now the other crazy thing about <laughs> luke wilson's quote-unquote art is that not only is it like quasi pornography hardcore sex with these terrible looking humans that is not good art but so we have that we have that aspect of it, but there is always an, a UFO or like an alien, a giant alien head in his art. So we've seen in his art, and that's why Serena is so attracted to it, I think, at the beginning. She's like, oh, it's erotic and it's alien and it's this and that. And so we see this random element of his artwork that is barely a part of this movie. And at the end of this movie, I say as I pound my desk... <laughs> Aliens come out of the sky and the movie ends. I mean, imagine you're watching Reality Bites and Ethan Hawke comes at the end of this movie, stands atop of these steps of his apartment telling Lelaine Pierce, I went to visit my dad and my dad passed away and I realized that I love you and I have come back to Houston. And aliens came and abducted him. <laughs> It was insane. It, it was just validating her, you know, uh, her craziness, you know, and, and saying, no, oh, maybe she isn't crazy. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I could not believe it. And then the last scene after so the, the alien is shining their light upon them we see one last shot of the cops bursting onto the roof to chase down the naughty 28 year olds and their scary 80s party and then the movie just ends I really it think was, they were going to go that direction they should have gone all the way and had them be abducted at the that's very what end. I thought too I was like well at least abduct them like at least finish the movie on some sort of a note or a climax or a <laughs> statement or 
<laughs> so now I'm wondering if the novel this is based on also has alien abduction at the end. Oh, that is a which very would good be question. E- I mean, that would be equally insane, but I guess less insane that they just invented that for this movie. Yeah, what do you think the author, like, pretending that there is not aliens in the book, what do you think the author thought when he saw this movie? <laughs> That's how it ended. <laughs> it's like Homer, it's like Poochie getting taken out. It, that's literally what it was. Poochie had to go home to his home planet. <laughs> and then it ends. And then it ends. <laughs> Oh my gosh! That yeah, I, the only thing that makes sense, quote, uh, any sort of sense, was that because Luke Wilson's art had alien influences, that maybe that was a big part of the book, and there was more about people thinking that they were abducted and more things like that. Because I did notice that, well, abduction wasn't a theme. All the characters in this movie at some point abandon Luke Wilson. So I thought, well, that's a theme because Serena abandons him. Then everybody at Jack Black's uh, resort goes on the hike without him. So he's abandoned there. Brittany Murphy abandons uh, Luke Wilson for Jack Black. Like there's all this abandonment. But that doesn't have to do like that doesn't have anything to do with alienate. Well, maybe I guess he's feeling alienated from (laughs) I'm trying so hard. Yeah, I think you're trying too hard. (laughs) <laughs> it's just bong water yeah oh uh, so that i mean there's <laughs> i've got nothing it was such a crazy choice <laughs> that i still can't quite wrap my head around it oh uh, <laughs> yeah and then steven soderbergh is thanked <laughs> minutes after we see that <laughs> So well, let's talk about some locations here. <clears throat> so the house, the the one I was trying to find beforehand was uh, mentioned in the Willamette Week article as being next to the Baghdad, and that's the house that they burned down. But as Mark mentioned, I think before we started recording, the Vancouver Fire Department is thanked. But in the Willamette Week article, it also says, um, let me find it here. Do to do. One moment, please. Uh, Portland was a a great place to shoot at the time. This is the director. Everyone was accommodating. I don't think we could have found a house to burn down anywhere else. In fact, the Portland Fire Bureau was happy to burn down a house for him. Um, And that house, they say, is next to the Baghdad Theater. So obviously it was a derelict house back then, but I can't quite place where that uh, specifically was. But no. then there's some other scenes too. Uh, <clears throat> some other locations. Did you guys notice any of the other locations? I mean, there's there's some very prominent placement of like, uh, he's crossing the Burnside Bridge and looking onto Big Pink and uh, the, the Portland sign, uh, the White Stag sign. Um, Mary's Club, of course. We Mary's Club, that. yeah. And there's there's... They didn't do a great job of uh, B-roll establishment shots for New York versus Portland. I felt like when half when there were some characters in New York, there was some characters still in Portland. They, yes, they could have done some establishment shots before each scene to say, 
All right, now we're back in New York because a lot of the street scenes just looked like mid-sized street, you know, city street scenes. Well, and so you didn't I know who was they, what. If they tried to shoot Portland to make it look like New York, but she there was they did fit out kind of shocked me too that they spent the money to shoot go to New York, yeah. New York. Yeah, and uh-huh. and in the credits they credit the New York, you know, mm-hmm. sh- shooting locations and and all of that. Right. Yeah. And there's a couple there's a couple other um, like rooftops and stuff like that that I'm still trying to hunt down, like I said, wherever that city sign is. Um, but there was the uh, backyard bird shop. Yes. And I saw yep. that. Did that used to be on um, by the in the Lloyd district? Because I, I right that now that... it's it's somewhere that I don't recognize, like in southeast on somewhere yeah, it's it's a chain uh a portland chain so that there's multiple stores um I, but you can I, see downtown in the background of that that the one of the big white buildings mm-hmm. and so i feel like that was on um upper like on on east burnside or on west burnside kind of by lloyd district and that Oh, Sovie Island was used uh, for the Jack Black retreat uh, area, so they went on a hike in Sovie Island. <laughs> Sovie Island also heavily featured in Fatal Exposure. <laughs> People are constantly riding their bikes around Sovie Island <laughs> and bird watching, <laughs> which is really funny. <clears throat> um, so yeah, bo- both Fatal Exposure and Bongwater are uh, available for free on YouTube if you just search them. Um, I've added Bongwater to the Portland at the Movies page playlist but you can just type it in um to find it yourself so thanks to whoever has post has been posting that for the last eight years without getting in trouble huh anything else about oh there was a were there any animals in this movie because there, there was, was a two or three there was a pug mentions. there was a pug oh, that's right uh didn't the pug belong to the gallery owner or something and the friend? yeah uh, yeah, Mary, Brittany Murphy's dog. Okay, because I saw a couple credits for the ASPCA and the in uh, the credits and and animal handler, and I was like, I don't even remember animals in this movie, but that makes sense. Uh, so they did it, they did shoot some in Vancouver. They must there have. Was, uh, there was Muffy too. Who's Muffy? Muffy was the stripper. Ah, <laughs> nice. Um, you know what? My favorite quote of the movie, and I I. I think it was Andy Dick that said this. You talked bad about me to Robert. And I was like, who's Robert? Who are any of these people? <laughs> I don't know who Robert is. He was so upset that he was talked bad about, though. In multiple occasions, we saw Serena scratched into or printed on everything in the area, including like when Serena is at the bar or like at the breakfast place with like, I, I didn't know who was scratching Serena's. They showed her when Serena moved to New York, they have a scene of her sitting somewhere. They're not like in a library or in a coffee shop or something like that. And she's kind of absentmindedly scratching her name into that table. And then after that, Luke Wilson sits down somewhere in Portland and Serena is just, scratched in the table all over the place and like all around and he notices it then but we do see a scene of her doing that at one point got it yeah another reason why she is just a terrible person she is (laughs) and that's what i couldn't figure out either it's like because both of our main characters 
Like, there's not really anything likable about them. Like, I don't root for them. I don't hope that they figure things out. They just seem so... I don't know. And I guess Aimless is part of the point. You know, it was that late 90s, you know, where are we, Gen X? Where are we headed? And stuff like sort of that. And that's in Reality Bites, too. But this just, yeah, was so... Just so nothing the whole time. Um, yeah, any any other thoughts about this? The only other thought I had was that every single exterior shot, I just kept wishing they would remove the damn yellow filter from the camera. <laughs> this was a very, very... this Everything in this video looked like an in-sync video, because that's what was like, just that bright filtered colors and like greens and oranges and it did look very very late 90s so that was kind of a that was kind that was kind of fun to settle back into but it's not like would you guys recommend watching this movie um i i honestly wouldn't no no yeah it's, I just wish there was something about it. Like I could recommend yeah. watching Reality Bites saying like looking back on this, it's it's very cringy and stuff like that, but there's a lot of great stuff happening in in Reality Bites. Um but I there was just none like there weren't any quippy lines. There weren't any, there was nothing memorable about and maybe that's part of the point, but yeah, I, I cannot think of any type of person to recommend this to the Portland movie fan or movie fans in general. No, I guess the best thing that could be said about it now, oh, there's a picture of them staring up into the sky with their green filter on, looking at the UFO coming to abduct them. Um, I guess you can scrub through it on YouTube and maybe get some of the, because they do have a shot of the Baghdad theater. I remember, I'm remembering now they drove past that and, some of the um, some of the locations are still kind of fun to see, but you can just scrub through that as far as I'm concerned. <sighs> Should we never think about bong water again? Yes. I, I believe that's the case. It's going back into the same place in my mind where I keep uh, uh, breaking in. Breaking in. So is this <laughs> does this fall that low on your on your scale? Just above breaking in. Wow. <laughs> it just really kind of felt like that kind of a movie to me. Like there wasn't anything happening and it was really boring. That's really true, I guess, as far as that goes, how it it was supposedly about something, but it wasn't really about anything and thought the dialogue was more clever than it you than it than it really was. And it um, looks like a real movie. Yeah, it, it looks like a real movie. <laughs> Sadly, I could have used a little more Burt Reynolds and bong water, but he was busy making other things. So, <laughs> all right, well, let's close the book on bong water. Then, um, let us know your your thoughts. I guess uh, you can email us. I guess we have no Facebook page to comment on. <laughs> you can always comment on. Um, I'll post the video of us doing this podcast here on our YouTube channel at Portland at the movies, so you can comment there or track us down about Brian or Todd or I say in third person or Mark uh, on Facebook. You can friend us and find out and and talk back and forth there. So we will be moving on from bong water. Uh, Brian, what has the Unipiper been doing during quarantine? Uh, Not a lot recently. I uh, believe it or not still have um, stitches in my mouth at the moment. 
Um, those come out on Thursday, and then I get to um, uh, get back in bagpipe shape so I can get back out there and make some joy. Fantastic. You can find Brian's stuff at unipiper.com. Mark, what about you? Well, you can always uh, check you and I out at uh, whatever it's called. It's called the Mark and Toddcast. Uh, you can go to markandtoddcast.com and uh, our Facebook page, and we talk about Portland things and things going on in science and uh, weekly or less uh, is when you can hear us. <laughs> Uh, yes, and uh, you can hear us on Fun Employment Radio uh, on the Fun Employment Radio Network. Go listen to Greg and Sarah's podcast. They're doing it every day still, um, and it's great. So listen to that. Um, other than that, I will put something at the end of this so that everybody can hear it and we can never talk about long <coughs> water again. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we will see you next month. Awesome. Bye. Take care. Really? Um, mm, your music really moves me. Oh, wow. Yeah.